Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. Well, we record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't a podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts well. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing, 
Every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey... We are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Good afternoon, Corey. Howdy, Randy. How are you doing? I am great. I'm watching the winter season melt away. Yeah? Yeah. Fully melting away? It was 45 degrees here in Bozeman today. Yeah. we We have a season in between winter and spring here where I live. It's called mud season. And? (laughs) <laughs> and we're, we're quickly approaching mud season. It's raining, snowing, melting, freezing. It's it's going to be nasty here for the next month or so. Hmm. Well, we don't get that season. It was 27 below Wednesday morning. But now here it is Monday, <laughs> and it's uh, like 40-some degrees. When I woke up this morning and went out to my truck, it was I think it was 41 degrees. I'm like, wow. So... Well, uh, the same same things we are. We had minus twenty on Friday, and I uh, took the boys out for a little outdoor adventure on Saturday, and it was minus ten Saturday morning. And then we've got rain and forty three today right now. So wow! So yeah. today, I, I'm not sure if we want to touch on all the topics from emails we got or if i should just recite all the questions i got for you when i was in portland and puyallup doing sports shows the last two weeks or you got questions for me there oh yeah you can't believe how many questions came up about calling elk i'm like do i look like Corey (laughs) jacobson they're like well no but figured you'd know i'm like so here's what i'd always do i do a q a session so i'll be in redmond oregon in about uh, by the time this drops, it'll be a week. Uh, can I do another four days? Every, every day I do an hour of Q&A and I tell people, look, I've been an accountant for 35 years. I've been a CPA. If you're here for tax advice, you might be able to trust my answer on that. I just celebrated my 33rd wedding anniversary. If you're here for marriage advice, you might be able to trust my answer on that. But if you're here to talk about elk hunting, Take everything with a grain of salt because I might be making it up. And when they started asking me all these calling questions, I'm like, you guys, did you see the placard out there? It said Randy Newberg, not Corey Jacobson. So, but I think it's kind of like, you know, when your kid's four years old, he thinks mom and dad have the answer to everything. And you don't want to kind of shatter his his idealism about how smart his parents are. So you just make up an answer if they ask you a question you don't know. I thought about doing the same thing there, but I figured I'd quickly get ratted out as, hey, Newberg, you're making that up. Yep. Figured you'd save that method for the Elk Talk podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to make some things up here, and I'm sure people will believe us. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of jealous of you. I have been doing nothing but podcasting, recording, filming, and you've been out looking for deer antlers and wolf hunting and everything else, and I've been kind of like just a bad sack of potatoes laying in the pantry or something man i'm getting old and i had to i was 
I was sick uh, two or three weeks ago, what? and then that yeah, I got sick again. Just some there's some flu or seasonal crud going around, and hmm. so I got that, and it congested me up, gave me a sore throat, a little bit of a cough for a few days, and that was right at the tail end of our basketball season. Hmm. And uh, right as that ended, then uh, we're working on that big film project, and so the film crew was here for eight days, I think, and. I just, between basketball season and not getting out, and then all these projects with Destination Elk, editing all of that, and then this other project, I thought, I have got to get out, and <laughs> I'm going to go insane if I have to sit inside a building <laughs> for one more day. So I took the boys out on Saturday, and we, we did some chasing. And you find any deer antler? It was good, yeah. No, we uh, we went to an area where we knew there would be some deer antlers. Uh, it's an area where we we would be able to scout for elk, which they should be dropping here in a month or so. Yeah, and then uh, it's usually a pretty good predator population in the winter in there because of the deer and elk that winter there. So, uh-huh. uh, I I was I decided not to pack a rifle just yeah. because you know I've got so much stuff in my pack with binoculars and tripods and. All that stuff. So I didn't pack a rifle, but Isaac, he was uh, he was man enough to pack all his stuff and a rifle, and mm. it almost paid off. I uh, we split up. I dropped the boys off on one side of the drainage, and they walked up one of the finger ridges, and I drove around to the backside and came up another ridge. And uh, I found a couple fresh mule deer antlers and a couple old elk antlers, and. Isaac and Sam ended up uh, getting up on a ridge and howling, and a pack of wolves lit up down below them. So no way. They moved around and got in position, and uh, Isaac started glassing and crossed the draw from him. One of the wolves was sitting there howling, and I told him, those things don't sit still very long, and fortunately that one sat there and howled at him and didn't move. He got set up and uh, ranged it twice, and shot and no wolf (laughs) oh bummer (laughs) he was kicking himself pretty hard just i mean those opportunities are so incredibly rare anyway and uh, then to miss and it was it it was a longer shot it was 500 yards and oh yeah long yeah (laughs) they're not that big a target either no they're not and unfortunately you don't get a whole lot of shots at wolves much closer than that so no, it's that is one of the things about wolf hunting is it's I, I think about how many miles I've put on and I always tell people that if I put as much effort into each encounter I get for a wolf, if I put that much effort into elk hunting, oh, I'd fill four ta- four tags that day. Yeah. Oh, it's a true. I'm not allowed to. It's just, and I say it that way because I think a lot of people don't understand how much work, how many miles, what kind of terrain, how how tough it is to get those opportunities that you work hard for. Yeah, I got on a super fresh wolf track as I was heading out that day, and I followed it for a mile and a half, and it was on an old logging road, closed logging road, and it was just beeline, and I thought, I'm going to catch up to this thing. It's It'd stop every once in a while and go out on a point and, you know, sniff the air and look around down the, down the drainage, and I thought, I'm going to come around one of these corners, and it's going to be in the road in front of me. And, uh, you know, when I first got on the track, it's Saturday afternoon, it warmed up, you know, enough that it was melting a little bit of snow. 
And these tracks were on a south-facing direct sunlight hillside and still had ice crystals in the track. So they yeah. hadn't, I mean, it was within an hour. And yeah. I was behind it, and I followed it all the way to within three-quarters of a mile of the truck. And it finally turned and went up a canyon, and I only had about a half hour of daylight left. So not enough time to get back to the truck and get my rifle and get back and follow it. But there was, uh, I mean, there's, I followed a set of mountain lion tracks up the ridge I was on. Isaac and Sam saw a set of mountain lion tracks over where they were. That pack of wolves they were on, the single wolf I was on. So I'm going to be heading back out. And there's a, as we say, a target-rich environment for predators there right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. We actually closed our quota here in Montana because we we met it. Really? Uh, we went from a district quota to a region-wide quota uh, because they had some really small quotas down along Yellowstone Park, like one or two wolves. And, well, you know where you'd see all the wolves, right? Well, yeah. they said, ah, that's part of Region 3. Let's just include those as part of the Region 3 quota. Oh, boy, it didn't take long to get there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, hey, a, a, a question. Alaska draw results came out last Friday. Yeah. And, <laughs> that, and that's, a, that's a statement, not a question, Randy. Did you apply? No. I told you I was, <laughs> I told you I was never going back. <laughs> uh, I wonder if any listeners applied just saying, Corey must have been making that up. I got to go see for myself. If they applied and drew, they... They, they were warned, and they get what's coming to them. And so if they get a hold of you, are you going to help them? Oh, I'll help them, all right. I'll say to tear the tag up, turn it in, do anything you can. <laughs> That's the best help I can give them. Our, our film is coming out. Our Alaska film is coming out uh, towards the middle to end of March. And uh, if anybody doubts what it was like, and obviously it's like trying to show how steep a hillside is with a picture or something, it it never does it justice. Yeah. But I, I'm hoping right. we're going to be able to detail a little bit of the suffering that we endured <laughs> there. Uh, well, Alaska came out. I have another black bear tag, but I've yet to draw a caribou or any of the other special things, bison, other stuff I apply in Alaska. But uh, I suspect by the time this podcast launches, it's a good thing we've been notifying people in advance that the odds in Utah are really horrible. Uh, <laughs> but that deadline need, is March. <laughs> I was going to say, we don't even need to talk about Utah or deadlines there. If people are still putting in for that. It's kind of like Alaska. You you get what you deserve there. <laughs> or you deserve what you get. <laughs> um, if this podcast isn't out before the New Mexico deadline on March 16th, I think we're in trouble. Yeah, we're going to be in a lot of trouble then. Uh, yeah, we got we got a lot of runway between now and then. Uh, <laughs> and then Montana is April 1st. And uh, I'm just going to give the disclaimer, since I live in Montana, that they put the regulations out on our website, uh, out on the Fish, Wildlife, and Parks website, 
after the whole harangue that we went through in November and December and January arguing about what the changes are going to be. And it's, this is a, a sign of getting old. Now I look at the new unit maps. They merged and changed a bunch of boundaries. And it's like, people are doing this just to see if I can stumble and mess something up. <laughs> Point being, if you apply in Montana... Uh, one, we invented a new way to rip you off this year as a non-resident. Uh, and uh, also, pay close attention to the regulations. So It's just crazy. Uh, we, we can talk more about Montana on a future episode. But it's uh, we, we've talked, you know, when you go into these point systems and you want to find a way to, to change it, the only way to change it is to hose somebody. And that's yeah. what they did. They made it, you know, I've been collecting preference points, just waiting so I have enough points to draw just the general combo, which, you know, that's over the counter for mm-hmm. the residents. And as a non-resident, you have to draw and it takes a point or two. So I just built up my preference points. So when I was ready to draw, they were there and, and ready. And now if you don't apply, you lose your preference points. So, mm-hmm. You know, I have to apply and draw that combo license if I want to keep my preference points, which then I lose my preference points because I draw. So that's a a ripoff. It is. I I can say that. I I, I have no idea what kind of exhaust fumes some of the legislators in Montana are sniffing where they come up with some of this stuff. It's just, I don't know. That's the problem with having legislators making fish and game rules. That's just, Mm -hmm. that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, you didn't apply with an outfitter last year. They would have let you get two preference points. Exactly. And there's, yeah. If you apply with an outfitter, you can buy one, you can get one for applying. I mean, you you see who, it's the same Wyoming. If you hunt with an outfitter, you can hunt the wilderness. If you don't, you can't. In Montana, you can get extra bonus points if you hunt with an outfitter. If you don't, you lose your bonus points. Yeah. And so you see who's got the, the ear of the legislators, <laughs> and you see where the legislators yeah. are catering toward, and it's just so frustrating. Yeah. It's completely frustrating because we're talking about New Mexico on March 16th. And the non-guided, non-resident, we get 6% of the tags, and the guided pool is 10%. Yeah. It's like, dang. Last I checked, you know, I'm pretty good at trust stuff. And the public trust doctrine, which is one of the fundamental elements of the North American model of wildlife conservation, has uh, the public trust doctrine has this thing about equal treatment of beneficiaries. In other words, you know, there's got to be all these things like reasonable. As a trustee, you got to act reasonably and prudent. You have to act with full transparency, no self-dealing, no favoritism to one beneficiary over another. It's like, how many of these boxes do we want to violate here? But I'm... I may as well just stand out on the street corner and yell as to think I'm going to change anything. No, that's just, that's just it. We have a deal in Idaho. Last year they tried, they, they signed a petition, had a whole bunch of people sign it and presented it to the Fish and Game Commission. And it was to legalize lighted knocks and mechanical broadheads. And it mm-hmm. failed. It, it didn't get implemented. 
So this year, somebody decided rather than go the normal route, let's see if we can get one of our legislators who is not an archery hunter, who has no experience with lighted knocks or mechanical broadheads, and have him <laughs> have him introduce the bill directly. Skip oh, the whole Fish and Game God. Commission, skip hunters, skip all that. I am in no way against lighted knocks. I'm in no way against mechanical broadheads. I won't shoot a mechanical broadhead at an elk. But I, if somebody else mm -hmm. chooses to do that, that's their choice. And if they have a bad experience from that, hopefully they learn from it. If they have a good experience, great. That's that's wonderful. I, I think that people should be able to choose at this point on whether or not they mm -hmm. want to use mechanical broadheads. And lighted knocks, they aren't going to help or hurt us. I mean, it's not going to change success rates because you have a little glowing part of your arrow that glows for 24 hours. That's, But anyway, yeah. in... In this guy's, in this legislator's reasoning, what he used for justification to present this bill was that having lighted knocks would allow hunters to find lost arrows that would pose a hazard to the environment as well as to people who are hiking and animals who wandered upon an arrow and stepped on it. That was his reasoning for why he submitted that. For mechanical broadheads, he said they fly better than traditional broadheads and they will minimize the waste of lost animals after the shot and help more hunters find the game that they shoot. Hmm. That's his oh. justification. It passed 63-0 <laughs> in the house. What? Yeah, 63-0. And then it went to the Senate, and it got a recommendation for a yay on in the Senate. This is it. It failed to even go forward in the Fish and Game Commission last year, but now it's going to fly through with with colors, and it's just setting a horrible precedence for all wildlife management in states that are allowing legislators to manage wildlife instead of the game commissions that were established to keep politics out of that management. Yeah. Well, hmm. I'm wondering if I want to stand on the soapbox with you or if people are tired of hearing me <laughs> talk about legislators. Let's because, talk about uh, New Mexico. Let's talk about New Mexico. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to play in New Mexico this year. I'm, I'm really torn. Yeah. I know. This will be the first time line. in a long time. Yeah. But it's $65 non-refundable tag or non-refundable license, like 10 or $12 or stamps. And yeah, people are like, Newberg, come on, 75 bucks to apply. But the odds are so ridiculous. It's like just out of a protest, should I just tell them, I ain't, I ain't sending you my money anymore. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure that they would get that message. No. You, you no. don't think they're going to look and say, man, Randy Newberg got mad and didn't apply here anymore. We're going to change the rules and make it easier for non-residents. I think I think any person listening to this podcast is probably rolling on the floor laughing, saying, can you believe Newberg is complaining about that and acting like he's going to make uh, so, well, it? Yeah, I, I mean, either way, it's going to be a win for New Mexico. If you say you're not applying, then everybody's going to apply. Cause they're like, Randy's not applying, so maybe nobody else will apply. So the odds are going to be really good. <laughs> and when you do apply, they're like, well, Andy's applying, so I'm going to apply. He, 
if he thinks it's a good idea, then I'm going to do it. So yeah. no matter what you choose, the, the draw odds are going to go down for everybody else. Yeah. Well, I'm dumb enough to send Montana money for a sheep tag every year. Why would I fret about? I think my odds, even with max points in Montana for sheep, I think my odds of getting a Gila tag in New Mexico as a non-resident in the self-guided pool are still about five times better. So. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm going to really make a stand based on the cost of, of what things, you know, add up to, there's an awful lot in my hunting and fishing budget that needs reevaluation. reevaluation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The older you get when the kids leave home, you know, I, I only had one, so I, I have to say when the kid left home, you find yourself with a little bit more money and you spend it on really stupid stuff. <laughs> and i the stupid stuff is anything that's not hunting and fishing in my budget <laughs> kim has a way different idea of what stupid stuff but uh so march 16th the good part for all of you listening is new mexico doesn't have a point system kind of like your state of idaho so yeah. you know you can jump in you can jump out you can come back in and no harm no foul you're not going to draw a tag if you don't apply, but, you know, it's not like you're going to fall behind on the point curve or anything. Yeah. Well, maybe so. you and I should just put in for one of the hardest to draw tags there. And if we draw yeah. a grade, if not, then. Yeah, you know what will happen we'll then. We'll draw, we'll draw. the world to be like, oh, I wonder how much they bribed them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we bribe really well. We we bash every state's game agencies for the way they manage and allow the legislators to walk all over them. They're really going to give us tags. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm never going to draw another tag in Montana as hard as I've been on our legislature this year and our <laughs> our department with their new policy of bulls for billionaires. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but did, did you notice that you find any irony or humor in the fact that montana has their draw deadline april 1st <laughs> no coincidence there i'm sure <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and make our deadline april fools that's yeah. perfect I, I i just think if i'm a non-resident and i'm applying in montana and i see that date it's gotta be like are they for real, man? Couldn't they do like March 31st or April 2nd or something? But, uh, and then shortly after Montana, we have Colorado on April 5th. Yeah. So, I'm, and that's I'm my only, the, my only hesitation own, is I think I'm going to apply for a Colorado elk tag this year. I think this time. is my year to, to burn, yeah, burn my 17 points. But that makes it so I can't apply for, New Mexico or Montana because I don't know the results in time. Mm -hmm. So I have to choose one of them to apply for. So then if I don't apply for Montana, I lose my preference points there. If I don't apply for New Mexico, I don't have a chance of drawing. It's just such a, yeah. such a quandary. <laughs> you, know, you know what I told Montana we ought to do for our non-resident draw? Because it's not like we adjust it based on statute or yeah. based on you know, how many elk are there or aren't there. We never adjusted. We've got 17,500 non-resident tags. I think it's 17,500. might be just 17. Anyhow, why don't we hold that draw in January and let them know yeah. right away? Yep. 
And people look at me like, well, why would we do that? That's not how we've always done it. <laughs> okay. Or do it in July. Just, just don't do it yeah. like all the other states are doing it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I'm trying my best, Corey. I'm... <clears throat> I'm probably going to go out next time I park at the FWP office. My tires will have holes in them or something. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we do have some wonderful people who work for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks there in Montana, and they try hard. It's just you get the legislature involved <clears throat> in, like, your illustration of how the the Idaho, you know, person came up with lighted knocks and mechanical broadheads. The department here so many times ends up getting handed a, a a bad deal by something the legislature passes it's like absolutely really? come on so hey gotta and since we've covered all those i think we've covered all the states right mostly focus yeah, on new mexico folks because it's march 16th uh, so in new mexico do you have to front the tag fees when you apply oh yeah yeah and that's like that's, what, 785 or something for a something like that and uh so that's another thing you know i'm uh, this credit card kiting scheme i got going on here you know i gotta pay one credit card off with the other credit card (laughs) (laughs) and hope that your expiration dates don't overlap with draw dates and yeah (laughs) no someone will think i'm serious with that in my goat (laughs) hunt that we put out on our fresh tracks plus platform I said, yeah, you know, I'm the COVID long hauler, you know, smoking 10 or 20 cigarettes a day. I was talking about, that's what the the pulmonologist told me, that I, uh, you know, my oxygen transfer rate was the equivalent of someone who smoked 10 or 26, 20 cigarettes a day. A bunch of people took that as meaning I smoked 10 or 20 cigarettes a day. (laughs) So I got to be a little more concise in how I say things here. So, you know, when I start (laughs) kidding that I'm paying off one credit card with the other, I better not joke about that. People be like, do you realize Newberg's just about ready to go wheels up, man? He's got a credit card scheme going on. Well, but, uh, maybe maybe that would be a good marketing ploy. You could, uh, you know, say hmm. something like that, and then let them know that they could subscribe to Fresh Tracks Plus and uh, <laughs> help you out. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sure that's the last thing that you just provided. No incentive at all, Corey. Like, I'm gonna help that jerk. I hope he goes wheels up, man. I hope to see him in bankruptcy court. <laughs> Uh, hey, I got a couple people who asked me, you know, I told you I was in Portland and Puyallup, but not more than a couple, I mean, not a couple, a lot more than a couple said, is Corey going to do Destination Elk in the same manner next year? I'm like, I have no idea, but if he is, count me out. <laughs> count you out or count your camera crew out? That's... uh Count me out. Well, we, you can do whatever you want with them. I know. Call you got all their emails. Tell them what you okay. want them to do. I'm, I'm going grouse. I'm going up with something you, else. Did you not go grouse hunting this season? Is that I did. Did boy, you miss out on that. grouse opportunities? No, I I I actually owe you some favors because you put me out in the woods more than I otherwise would have, and I boy, we laid it to them. There's yeah, a lot of them we didn't get on camera, also. Well, I was going to say, the episodes that are coming up here are uh, loaded with grouse adventure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the episodes, I think the title of the episode is 
is this destination grouse changed my mind. Come on. He didn't yeah. do that. Oh, we did. Am I in yeah, that the, one? Who else would be? You You slaughtered grouse. <laughs> Nobody else. We don't have another grouse kill on video from all seven teams. But you made up for it in in one episode. Well, someone's got to carry the load. So are you doing Destination Elk version 5 next year? We will be doing Destination Elk version 5. I'm not 100% sure what the format for it's going to mm. be. As we, long as you uh, don't come up with Naked and Afraid. We won't do that. that one yeah, okay. we won't have anything to do with being naked. We might do it in grizzly country and have it be elk hunting and afraid or something, but <laughs> clothes <laughs> will be required. Uh, cool. Well, the feedback has been absolutely phenomenal, I, at least for people who I talk to. I hope it's yeah. been the same for you. It wow. has. We're going to do uh, an end-of-series survey uh, out on Elk 101. So as soon as the last episode's done, we're going to open up a survey and just get more input. Because, I, you know, I mean, we have some incredible followers and viewers that wouldn't say anything negative about us, you know, especially in public mm -hmm. on a YouTube right. comment. But I'm sure there are some people who might not like the format. Uh, mm -hmm. So we just want to do a survey where people can give us some good feedback, what they like about it, what they don't like, what they want to see more of, what they want to see less of, if they like the team concept, if they, you know, a bunch of those kind of things. So we're going to have a, a really detailed survey that comes out with the last episode, and then we'll decide mm -hmm. what we're going to do for next year. Okay, cool. So you want some other really bad news that I picked up by doing these Q&A sessions? Oh, I don't know. That Oregon's change to their archery elk hunting mm -hmm. is going to result in a mass migration to Idaho. The number a mass of migration who, of hunters or people, residents? Residents. The, really? If even a fraction of the people who told me they are moving out of Oregon and buying property in Idaho, if even a fraction of them actually intend to do that, you better go and invest in more property. <laughs> I was going to say, they must have better jobs than I do because I can't even afford the property <laughs> I live on, and I bought it five years ago. Prices here are just insane. Idaho oh. was the number one state for population growth mm -hmm. last year, and wow. it's just driving prices insane. And the, the reason I bring that up kind of jokingly is these people, I... I, I I never gave it this amount of consideration, but in Puyallup, or a lot of Oregon and a lot of Washington hunters at the Puyallup show, and they were explaining to me how difficult their seasons are getting, shorter seasons, shorter seasons, harder to draw, harder to draw. And how many of them have told me they've reached the point where they've never applied out of state before, but they're going to start because... It's oh, their odds and their options are way better taking a chance on Idaho or Colorado or Wyoming or Montana than it is in their home state. And so I never really thought about what, you know, say Oregon makes this big change to their archery season, what that does to applicant pressure or hunters moving to other states. Do they really do that because it changes? Yeah. Or is that kind of the straw that's going to break the proverbial camel's back? 
for some of these folks and they're like i'm just getting out of here uh i i could not believe how many people brought it up of hey i've never applied out of state but i'm going to this year because boom and it was always the same reason and one person would ask the question and four or five other people would be like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> answer that guy's question because I'm in the same boat. And uh, I'd never really thought about it that way. Um, but <laughs> like I said, if even a fraction of them are going to do it, you better brace yourself because you're the closest to those two states. Yep. No, Oregon and Washington have the worst resident hunting program now. Yeah, I mean, Oregon's been decent, but now that they're going to draw for the whole east side archery, it's it changes it. And, you know, I, I can't imagine anybody making a decision to move out of state because elk hunting goes to a draw in their state. But with that being said... There's a lot of other reasons, too. And like you said, that might just be the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. So you never know. It's, yeah. uh, it could be uh, <laughs> it just could be that next wave we see. But this time they're all have a bow in their gun rack and, a, and a, you know, hell with Portland bumper sticker or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, that, I'd, that, probably, that I'd was, probably have that bumper sticker even if I lived in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to get all these emails from folks in Portland, Corey. You see what you did to us? Uh, yeah, they're going to ask us where they can buy the bumper sticker. I guarantee you that. Yeah. So uh, there were a lot of Roosevelt out questions, of which I, I, I had the answer to none of them. Uh, so for me, it's always helpful to go to these states and do these Q and a sessions. Cause I really get a feel for what's going on in that state and, uh, how that's gonna, you know, I, I, it gives me a different lens to see the world. Like when I do them in Utah or I've done them in Colorado, it's like, wow, this is different. This is, you know, I, like you know, I was, before we got on the phone, I was telling you that there was the new bill introduced in Utah that's going to make it illegal to pay people a finder's fee to locate or stay on top of an animal that they've located. And I'm thinking, is that such a common issue that you got to pass a law against that stuff? <laughs> in Utah, yes. Yeah, so you might not see those groups of 10 or 12 people. You know, Utah's really just, between banning trail cameras and, you know, now banning finder's fees. And there's just a lot of stuff that, man, makes you just step back and think, did we, did we really blow that far past normal? Are we that yeah. far down there that now we're starting to make up these rules and laws that just are so far out there that, like you said, is this really a problem? Yeah, well, does your state have a shed hunting season? Uh, not yet, no. No, neither do we. Marcus is doing a thing called Fresh Tracks Weekly where he does like 10 minutes of legislation across the West, and then we can do a deep dive of like 20 minutes into other stuff. And one of the things he was discussing was shed antler hunting. <clears throat> and as he was prepping for it, he's showing me all the states that, had to install 
shed antler seasons. It started in Utah, and now I think he said Wyoming, uh, Nevada, Nevada, Colorado, Colorado. <clears throat> I'm like, really? We're to that point where we got to do that, huh? So like, here's here's hmm. the deal. We're to the point yeah. where we have to do that. But they don't enforce it. So all it does is keep the honest people from going out and fighting. No, it's, I'm, I'm not even slightly kidding. I would love to get uh, a conservation officer or somebody from Nevada to explain to me why Nevada has a shed season. I think it's May 1st, May 15th, whatever the date is. So you can't pick up sheds until then. I was there for opening day last year. And, you know, opening day in Wyoming is a big deal, especially if you're anywhere near the refuge. Opening day in Colorado is a big deal. And there are definitely people in every state that are going out there and picking them up early. They're going out and picking them up and stashing them. And then on opening day, they're going out and packing them out, all these things. But in Nevada, there is, it's so remote that there's no way mm-hmm. they can enforce any of that. And I got right. out there opening day. There's hardly anything left on the ground other than tracks from six weeks earlier from everybody riding side-by-sides up and down the mountain everywhere. I got into an area where there had been so many bull elk wintering that the ground should have just been covered with antlers. I found a little chunk of an antler somebody missed, and I did find one big elk antler that somehow somebody walked by. But there were boot prints from two weeks before. There were tracks in the mud from a month before, and... I spent all that time and all that money getting down to Nevada to look for antlers, and everything had been picked up four to six weeks earlier because of the rules. I I didn't go down there and break the rules, but a lot of other yeah. people were breaking them. And it's like, why are we setting, why are we creating these regulations if we aren't going to enforce them, or we don't yeah. have a plan for enforcing them? <laughs> well, for me, it's just strange that we're putting so much pressure on wildlife during a vulnerable time of the year after they shed their antlers that states feel that in some instances they have to protect them by putting a season on it. It's like, dang, I, <laughs> I never yeah. knew that. <clears throat> but Yep. Hmm. No, and there, there are people out there and a lot of it is motorized usage. Uh, a lot of it's illegal motorized usage that people are out on the winter range in ATVs and side-by-sides and they see in, you know, a deer in mid-February that still has his antlers and like, those things are going to fall off any day. I bet if we just run up the hill on the ATV here and push him a little bit, he's going to take off running and his antlers will fall off and we can pick him up. And, you know, it's like, oh, that's, yeah, I've seen it, seen it happen. And it's usually in the more populated areas where there's winter grounds closer to big cities. And I think that's what what causes a lot of it? Um, you get out in the back country somewhere, and one or two guys hiking up a ridge. Yeah, they might bump the elk and push them a couple hundred yards over to another ridge, but it's not like they're causing them to die. Um, but yeah. in those some of those big areas, those big winter areas, people on ATVs and trucks and stuff do cause some some issues, and that's where the regulations come from. But those regulations don't stop. People, yeah. you go down to Nevada right now, and there are people out looking for mule deer antlers right now in side by sides with tracks on them, just running up and down the hillsides. And it's illegal to Whoa. do, but they know that nobody's going to enforce it. And if they do get caught, they're just going to get a warning. So, no big deal. Hmm. Well, uh, teach you to be a good guy. 
Well, that's exactly. It's trying to make all all those regulations <laughs> do is make criminals out of good people. <laughs> oh, but man, I'm not I one of them. <laughs> yeah. I I'm not taking that chance. Yeah, I I hope we don't get to that point in Montana because to me it'd be an indicator of you know what kind of problems we have. <clears throat> but the the one thing that is going to be an issue in Montana, you know, we added a muzzleloader season. And that muzzleloader season is in December. I almost shouldn't say this because if it doesn't get changed before the end of the year, everyone's going to come here muzzleloader season or in the muzzleloader season. But a bunch of us who hunt areas that don't allow motorized travel in archery season or rifle season said, hey, wait a second, putting this muzzleloader season even though it's supposedly a traditional muzzleloader season. Putting that into December, that's when all these trails, these these gates get opened up for snowmobile travel. And it takes, you know, a lot of this. these are elk back there either on their way to the winter range or found a little piece of winter range. And there's going to be guys driving back in there in snowmobiles just laying the pipe to these elk. Oh, no, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> well, the very first season, it happened so much that the Gallatin National Forest and Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks had to have a meeting about it. So, it's like, you know, sometimes, the, you know, again, where did we get our muzzleloader season? The legislature. Because a couple guys knew a legislator, made a small donation to his campaign, washed his truck, and took him fishing. Uh so all of a sudden, we're going to have a muzzleloader season. And we laid a pretty heavy pipe to the elk in December in muzzleloader season, as if we aren't hunting them long enough. You know, we got six weeks of archery, five weeks of rifle, and now we got to open the gates and let them go back in on snowmobiles. And a lot of these units, it's either sex elk. So it's like, oh, man. Wow. Yeah, that's a legislature for you. And I almost shouldn't have even said that because now <laughs> a lot of non-residents who who maybe weren't aware of that or maybe even montana residents who live in other parts of the state who have a muzzle order are going to be like i wonder where newberg's talking about where those gates get open on december 1st i'm going to go down there and whack me a cow cow elk or a bull elk or wow so, again i i bring that up because it had nothing in fact, it was contrary to the science that has went into Montana's planning. Uh, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks has worked with the with the land agencies to say, hey, will you help us with seasonal road closures so that we can have these long, long seasons, so that we don't have to choose our weapons, so that most of the state can be general tag. So that's all working great until all of a sudden you get some legislator who decides he's going to help us. And I have nothing, I have no problem with muzzleloaders. You know what? You, we already had five weeks where you could hunt with a muzzleloader. Yeah. It was the general firearm season. Uh, I have no problem with people hunting with a muzzleloader. But it's like, why do we have to let these damn legislators? Yeah. No, oh, um, I, I'm never running for legislature, Corey. You know? Man. <clears throat> The problem with legislators is it's kind of like attorneys, you know, 99% of them give the other 1% a bad name. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, Yep. 
so uh, a couple guys, John and Stephen, have said, where do I find the Montana regulations? Please let me know more than a day before the the, <laughs> the deadline. So I've told you folks, it's out on the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks website right now as we speak, and your deadline's April 1st. Um, Arizona's going to hit credit cards this week, Corey. Ooh. But they're not going to hit mine. No, they won't hit mine either. They already they already hit mine. They got the license and a bonus point, so that's all I did. <clears throat> hmm. Well, where are you going elk hunting this year? Then you crossed off Alaska, <laughs> not Arizona. Wait, wait, what's I, uh, your plan? I, this year? I applied you, for Wyoming, so okay. hopefully we draw Wyoming, and that will be my early part of the season hunt. And I'm still on the fence, but I'm leaning towards Colorado and burning 17 points there and uh, going hunting there second half of the season. That's what I'd do if I was you. Yeah. I'd burn them 17 points. That's a pretty heavy bag of points to carry around for another year. I can't draw anything other than (laughs) units that are 9 or 10 or 11 points because I'm just in that no man's land where I'll never catch up with some of the really good units. Do you think people realize the no man's land of... Colorado, or do you think they're they're just the eternal optimists and they think they're going to catch up someday? You'll never catch up, that, and that's that's a fact. And <laughs> you look like you you laid out the numbers of how many people are waiting in line, how many people are just buying points and not even applying, and you look at how many people have seventeen points or more for elk in Colorado. There's only yeah. a handful of good units, and it's you know unit sixty one is a prime example. 61 used to take six points, seven points to draw that archery tag for a non-resident. And it's up to mm-hmm. 20 or something now. I haven't looked because I just gave up on it because every year, I, same thing. I thought, ooh, maybe next year I'll gain on that a little bit. All it's doing is every three years or so, it's jumping two points ahead of me and instead of just one. So never catch that yeah. unit. The unit's like two and 10, 201, those good units, never catch them. Um, so now I'm looking at, okay, what units are there? Well, the units I can draw take 10, 11, 12 points. And so I'm, I'm ahead of what I need to draw. I'll never catch what I want to draw. And I'm just stuck there in that no man's land. There's not any hunts that take 17 points that are, yeah, I mean, when I say not any, there's very few. And so you're stuck either wasting all your points on a hunt that takes far less than what you have or you're stuck buying a point every year trying to convince yourself that you have a chance of drawing a hunt that's taking more <laughs> points, which will never happen. Uh, hey, did you read the study from Brigham Young University in Utah about how hunting pressure mo- moves elk from public land to private land? And then when season closes, uh, elk move back. So there's a, a study they collared 445 elk along the Wasatch Front, uh, and then they tracked them for three years to see what the distribution pattern was from public land to private land during archery and rifle season. And uh, to quote the, the authors, it was like clockwork. <laughs> and I'm going to quote them. It's crazy. On the opening day of the hunt, they moved, referring to the elk. And the closing day, they moved back to public. 
It's almost like they're thinking, oh, all these trucks are coming. It's opening day. I better move. This is quoting the, the professor that oversaw this study. Uh, so is, I, I think a lot of us kind of knew that. And we're starting to ask, are these super long seasons that we're having in Montana as an example? I mean, we start shooting cow elk in mid-August and, I think today's the last day you can fill your cow elk tag in Montana. So, <laughs> no, I'm serious when I say I that. It's know. either fe- February 15th or February 28th. Uh, and then we wonder why there are no elk left on the public land. Hello. Well, at least now we got a study where we can show them. See, folks, this is <laughs> this is what's happening. It's, so, it's right so what here. does Montana do about that? They give out more cow tags on public land. Mm-hmm. Knowing yeah. to help oh, out yeah. the to help out the private landowners who are getting inundated with all of these elk that are showing up on private land. So let's give more cow tags on public land to help out with that problem. Yeah. Man. Yep. So got it all figured so, out. So now some people will say that Utah's approach to it was wrong. And so some of the things that they did is they said, well, let's try to figure out how we get more hunting on private lands and keep these elk up on the public so the public would have access to them. Uh, and they've been doing that, and it's actually been working according to their studies. Uh, so uh, in 2015, when this all started, uh, they showed elk at 29% of their public land cave locations uh with a year into the study of putting more pressure on private land elk uh it jumped from 29 percent of the locations having elk on public land to 41 percent and 42 percent so yeah kind of interesting to i i think gut effect most of us already know there's like this refuge effect when you put way too much pressure on public land uh uh, that's what's going to happen, you know. Yeah. Uh, elk are smart; they're uh, they're, they're going to do what they're going to do. So yeah. they're uh, going to go to where there's less pressure. You've talked about that for years. That's a sanctuary. That's, yeah, that's what private <laughs> land creates. It creates a sanctuary, and elk know uh, that, and they yeah. they want away from pressure. Yeah. So, do we even want to get into the recent ruling on? Gray wolves now being relisted again. No, let's and, let's talk about some elk hunting strategies yeah. or tactics or something. To, <laughs> Anything other than yeah, wolves, we're huh? in we're in application and politics season here for hunting. So let's let's uh, let's find a nugget. All right, you want a nugget? I got one for you. Okay, uh, the Elk Foundation just awarded a million dollars towards habitat recovery in these places that have really been hammered by uh, fires. Uh, So it's uh, a lot of people think that, you know, if a fire comes through, that's great. Everything is just fine. Blah, 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 blah. Well, there's a lot of times fires come through and invasive weeds take over before natural regeneration uh sometimes there's the loss of water infrastructure in places where it's critical sometimes it burns so hot that the the real green stuff we're hoping for you know like aspen shoots and other shrubs just can't can't get 
restarted quick enough. Uh, so RMEF, if you're wondering what some of your money's going for, uh, they uh, they're putting million bucks towards that. Very cool. So, yeah, and you see it all the time, like you mentioned. You know, the fires that burn too hot don't ever regenerate feed for these animals and the noxious weeds and all of that's a huge problem i don't know why they flourish so well but after a fire it seems like you don't even get any of the edible stuff growing back it's just all the the yeah. noxious weeds and, and non-edibles that come up but then erosion in those fire areas is a huge problem because all of the root systems and everything that are there holding the ground from eroding they're gone. And so a big rainstorm comes through and now you get this huge erosion effect and it changes the waterway systems, the sources of water, the springs, a lot of that stuff that gets completely wiped out. And it really changes the the landscape and the needs of the elk in that landscape. So yeah. it's great to hear. Huge. Yeah. So all fires are not created equal. Um all habitat disturbances are not created equal. And, you know, I spend a lot of time talking about hunting where there are burns. Uh, I think almost every month when I go through the emails, someone will say, hey, there's this burn over here that's 12 <laughs> years old and this burn over here that's seven years old. Which one should I hunt? Well, for me, just about always the answer is whatever one's the most recent burn. It's, uh, I don't want to say that's a hundred percent true if one burned really, really hot and hasn't recovered yet, but yeah. once they get to be a year or two old, I'm always looking for just whatever's the most recent burn and, uh, use that as sort of my guideline of, of what I think is, is going to be helpful. And, you know, part of that is, are they on a food pattern? If they're not on a food pattern, I'm probably not going to be hunting a burn. <clears throat> I'm yeah. going to be, I'm going to be uh, hunting a different pattern. You know, if say it's a, uh, you know, late season or possibly a, a post rut pattern. Well, burns may not necessarily be that big a deal because a good way to get shot is to be standing out in the middle of a burn <laughs> wide open <laughs> you know oh pete he did that last year and Brad's like, oh my gosh i don't want to be like pete so uh, but i just i want people to understand that burns can be super helpful but uh there's times where we need to pitch in and, and do a little more to, to help the, the habitat recover after a burn. And yep. uh, nice, nice to see that RMEF is doing that, helping out along with all their partners. And uh, the other part is, uh, you know, I'm on my committee, uh, my local committee. I've been doing it forever here in Bozeman. I did a, an Instagram post saying, Hey, if you want to be part of our committee, sign up, uh, man, a lot of people got a hold of me. I need to figure. Really? Hey, I had to figure out how to use Instagram. I was over there talking to Michael and Dale. Hey, can you guys tell me how to use Instagram? Here, it says I got a whole bunch of messages. <laughs> so you don't you don't normally respond to your messages on Instagram, is what you're saying? I never do. Really? No. Do you? Yeah, I do. I should. I shouldn't have started that. Really? I get so far I mean, behind. My my emails and my social media messages, they just go in waves. I'll go a month where I can't even keep up, and then I'll 
take a day and just sit down and blow through as many as I can. So people will get messages from me saying, hey, super sorry for the slow response. I try to respond to everything, but I'm a month behind here. And sometimes yeah. it's time-sensitive information they've asked for and they don't get it. Other times it's it's hopefully yeah. helpful, but it's just well, tough. I wish I could do it. I, I did it because those guys taught me how. But anyone who's who's thinking that yeah, I have time or knowledge or ability to do it, <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. Uh, it's uh, it'd be tough for me to do that all the time. I like you. I'm I'm so far behind on emails. But uh, if you want to volunteer. So hey, that's the reason I brought this up. Yeah. If you want to volunteer for RMEF or any other group, preferably RMEF, uh, please do so because volunteerism is, is such a huge, huge issue. Uh, these groups, they do so much with just a little bit of time and money. And, you know, we've just rattled off a whole bunch of projects that got funded because of these amazing volunteers who put together events and, and projects where donors and sponsors can put their money towards doing something good. So, yep. I think uh, you've mentioned it before, but that $35 a year membership is bare minimum. That That's the ground level of, of doing something. And if you want to take it to the next level, that's contributing some of your time and volunteering to either help with an event or help with one of those conservation projects. And that's huge. So for those, yeah. you know, a lot of people have, have joined as a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation through the Elk Talk podcast. And I guess mm -hmm. the next step yeah. is let's, uh, let's encourage you to volunteer for an event this year. So if you're a member, yeah. Take it to that next level and get a hold of your local chapter and see what volunteer opportunities are there. Yeah. Yeah, they do a ton of good. If you want to see just what they did last year, they have kind of a, I'll call it a highlight chart of what they accomplished in 2021. Uh, it's amazing. You look at it, it's like, holy cow. And they talk about how critical it is to work with partners. You know, like yeah. they committed... 2.2 million uh, to certain projects that through their leveraging with partners turned it into 22 million. So that's a one to 10 <laughs> match. It's like, where that's can I get huge. a return like that, man? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to call the guy running my portfolio and say, hey, when, when, when are you going to start managing my money the way that the, the you know, the way the Elk Foundation gets it done? Uh, no but, kidding. Uh, so, and then there's there's another one here for elk research. Uh, they ended up getting a one to eight match, so they're six hundred seventy thousand converted to five point five million. So, point being, huge huge stuff going on there. And this is the Elk Talk podcast, and we want people to to do what what is good for elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. Uh, so. That's a chance to do that, whether you volunteer, whether you become a member, all the above. Um, so, do something. Um, uh, well, a question I have, Corey, because I don't do it, but there's been a bunch of uh, uh, questions about this. Do you notice a difference in when elk drop their antlers based on age? 
younger bulls sooner, older bulls later, or vice versa? Yep. So typically what I see is the bigger, more mature bulls are first to drop. And there's always going to be an exception. Yep. Always going to be exceptions to that. Uh, But for the most part, most part, the trend is the big mature bulls drop first, followed by the not as big mature bulls, and all the way down, usually the raghorns are the last to drop, with the exception of the spikes, which are usually very last to drop. So, hmm. yeah, I've seen, uh, you know, and every state's different. I know uh, Good Bull Outdoors, a photographer in Colorado, had a post last week that February 21st, there was a, a smaller six-point, it looked like a 250, 260-inch bull that had dropped one side. They had pictures of it with blood coming off of the pedestal on one side. Um, so that's that's hmm. pretty early. I know, you know, Arizona's early. It's not uncommon for bulls to start dropping in February down there into the first part of March. Most of what we see here, it's March 15th through, you know, the 22nd or so when the really big bulls will drop. And then that last week of March, some of the bigger bulls will drop. But it's not uncommon to see bulls on April 15th still packing antlers, you know, five points and some of the raghorns and stuff. So So latitude makes a difference. I wonder if elevation makes a difference. You know, I I really think it's a a feed thing. That's what I noticed that if things green up, if things Uh green up sooner, even in the same area from year to year, you know, bulls will drop a week earlier if things are green and it's mild and they're able to get a lot of good nutrients. Um, and then if you have a hard winter and things are still freezing and aren't greening up into the first part of April, you'll see a lot more bulls packing. So that's nothing scientific, just more observe, you know, of an observation. Uh, but it makes sense. You know, as soon as they drop their antlers, they start growing the new ones. And if they don't have the nutrition to, to be growing them, they might hold on to their old ones a little longer. Hmm. That's interesting. Never really thought about that. You know, it's like when I take my the animal teeth i would take one of the bottom front teeth out and there's a lab here in montana called matson's lab uh, it's where most of the state and federal agencies send their animals to get uh, aged teeth have almost like the growth rings on a tree when the, when they do that and i'm always curious to know what age the animal is to the point where I've been for the last few years, I've been bringing everything in there and I always try to guess. Uh, and so I've, I've went out there and they've shown me the teeth of certain animals and there'll be, and this gets to the nutrition and the severity of the winter thing. There'll be a really, really small gap. So they put it on this big microscope, right? That projects up on a screen and you'll see on the screen, it looks like an inch, an inch, an inch. And then all of a sudden it'll squeeze right down to like an eighth of an inch. I'm like, what happened there? They're like, oh, it's probably a drought or a hard winter. Something that caused uh, a nutritional deficit. I'm like, wow, that's a cool story. And so they'll go back, they'll tell me what year the animal was born. And uh, like I shot a, I've shot two mule deer in Wyoming. And, you know, you guys in Idaho and Wyoming had that brutal winter of 16 and 17. Yeah. Both these bucks had lived through that. And you could see in these growth rings, how brutal that winter was on them. They had uh, out there at Matson's, they call them abnormalities 
Uh, and so both of them, one was a year old in that hard winter. The other was two years old in that hard winter. And both of them had the same expression of how the rings, the teeth ring, annuli, I guess is what you call it, how they came together at the same, just one year apart. And one was, you know, aged to be a year older than the other. And it's like, wow. It's kind of like reading a book or, yeah. you know, and it, you get this information and then you go compare it to the weather patterns and all the other things. It's like, wow. It'd These be cool to see, so to correlate, you know, trees are the same way. Trees have rings mm-hmm. and, and on years where yeah. it's dry and hot, the rings will be close together. On years where there's a lot of moisture and they grow a bunch, the rings will be farther apart. It'd be really cool yeah. to correlate you know, look at a tree versus a 10-year-old elk or something and see if, uh, you know, how, how close they are. But I, I would imagine they're probably going to be spot on with each other. Probably. <clears throat> It'd be neat if elk lived long enough where you could have yeah. like this big. <laughs> <clears throat> but they, I asked them, what's the oldest uh, elk they've ever aged? And I think they told me it was a cow elk that was 32 years old. No way. Yeah. And they had a bull elk that was 20 or 21 years old that they'd age. Wow. Yeah. They, they had pictures. This was a Roosevelt bull that the guy sent in. He'd been just scouring, and he had multiple sets of antlers from this, this bull. In the last year, they told me, they said it was just like this 18-inch, massive, stubby, like crazy-looking set of antlers any winter killed that year died of old age or whatever and the guy sent it in and he was 20 or 21 years old uh wow so you think you know and i think that that makes sense because you know arizona utah nevada those states have bulls that live to be 9 10 11 12 years old you get idaho montana wyoming those bulls a big bull is going to be seven eight nine years old And I think, you know, it, it shows, right. I think it's correlated to how severe the winters are. And when they have Mm -hmm. more severe winters, they, they die at a younger age. It's just, they live a harder life. And you think about those Roosevelt bulls that live right on the coast. They don't have winters. They don't have, you know, it's, it's, there's no winter at all. So their, their winter is just like their summer. Basically there's moisture all the time. (laughs) The temperature is not a whole lot different. They live a pretty cush life, and so I guess it would make sense that those bulls probably do live to a, a higher average age than even a bull in Arizona or Utah, which lives to a higher age than most of the Rocky Mountain states. Hmm. I guess that makes sense. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Another thing when I was there, some kids stopped me and asked if I would say his name on, on the Elk Talk podcast, and now I forgot his name. No, <laughs> I feel terrible. I got, I'm gonna have to. I, I have it on a note somewhere in my stuff, and I'm like, oh man, this kid. He was. He's like, where's Corey? Where's Corey? I'm like, well, he's not here, but Randy's here. Well, no, where's Corey? Can you can you say my? He's a younger kid. He's like, would you say my name on the podcast? I'm like, ah, oh, where'd you see him at? I forgot. What's that? Where'd you see him at? Uh, I think it was at Puyallup. Uh-huh. I remember right. So, yeah, sorry about that. I'm going to have to look it up. Hopefully, he'll shoot me an email or something. Or <laughs> he'll call my wife and say, hey, your husband forgot my name. But, if, uh, if he was to send us an email, how would he do that? Uh, what What is it? Uh, ElkTalkPodcast.com. Something contact at Elk. 
elktalkpodcast.com. Yep. Just go to the Elk Talk Podcast website and hit the contact link, and that sends Randy and I an email. There you go. And we both get it. So if you're going to say something bad about me as you're praising Randy, <laughs> understand that both of us get it. So <laughs> It's kind of like when people send really sick humor to me on an email at my, you know, I have a contact spot on my website. And some people seem like, oh, I should share this stupid kind of gross joke. <laughs> with anybody who has a contact on their website. Well, what they don't realize is my wife handles a lot of my emails. And she'll be like, who is this person? I'm like, I have no idea. But let me reply to him and say, hey, my wife saw your crude joke or whatever it is. And <laughs> usually I don't think they have. I wish I could see be there to see the embarrassment on their face. But uh, So we're having a really mild winter here in Montana. How about you guys? Pretty mild, yeah. It's uh, yeah. concerning this. We've got a lot of moisture this week uh, that's here, so that's mm-hmm. a good sign. But yeah, our yeah. snowpack is really low and a lot of concern yeah. for. Now we're taking this and putting it on top of last year's very dry year. The the compounding yeah. effect can get pretty bad pretty quick. That's that's my worry. Is you know, it's kind of like trying to thread the needle. It's in your mind. You're saying, boy such a bad drought in the summer of 2021 these animals are in terrible condition body wise i hope we don't get a harsh winter which we haven't but now i'm looking around there's hardly any snow anywhere i'm thinking oh no is 2022 going to be worse than 2021 from a drought from fires from forage for wildlife like ugh, yeah but I thought a guy of your talent and your connections would be able to moderate and you know, sort of run the control mechanism about what kind of winters and summers we have, Corey. I thought you had a lot of pull. <laughs> I don't have that kind of pull. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't even have enough pull to be able to predict the weather more than uh, about an hour ahead of time. So, <laughs> Let alone control the weather. Yeah, well, I'm right there with you. But what else do we have for emails? Anything we haven't covered yet in the pile of emails that we sorted through before we started doing this? I, I put them all over in the in this. I have this folder called Elk Talk Podcast. And right now, just from the last time I jumped in there after our last podcast, I got 105 of them that say unread. Yeah. It's like, hmm. Thanks for sending them, folks. Yeah, Sorry and a lot of them are just, all. hey, thanks so much for the podcast. You know, you yeah. guys are hard to listen to, but every once in a while you have some good information in there, so thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> but there are some great questions, too, and I did see one. You know, we can talk more on Idaho, but uh, one of the guys yeah. was asking if he puts in for a hard-to-draw unit as first choice in Idaho and then something easier to draw as second choice, will he draw that? And the answer is pretty much no. The only way you'd yeah. ever get a second choice uh, draw in Idaho is if there were leftover tags and unless you know there might be a couple of cow hunts antlerless hunts that might end up uh, not filling all of those you could draw one of those but any bull hunt in the in the draw any controlled bull hunt is gonna most likely all those tags are going to be gone so you have no chance of drawing one on a second choice yeah. 
Well, I uh, I tell people a lot of times if you're looking for a leftover tag, it's usually such a crappy hunt you don't want it if yeah. you could get it. <laughs> At yep. least for what you you spend for a non-resident. Um, so uh, that's uh, that's what I. Uh, I tell people, maybe that's just me being lazy. Um, <laughs> no, it's pretty true. Uh, so, oh, well, I guess we let people go then, huh? Yeah, we so. can let them go. Reminder of the uh, deadlines coming up. Utah, don't even worry about. <laughs> if you're still interested in applying there, figure out the deadline for yourself. That's uh, we don't we don't want to encourage that money pit there. Uh, yeah. New Mexico is coming up on what's the date again? Is it March 16th? Yep. Yeah. They, they, not, not that anybody wants to be depressed further about Utah, but they have 134 years worth of applicants already in their system. Yep. Do the math. <laughs> when you when you have thirty seven thousand non residents in your elk draw system and you only give away two hundred and seventy nine tags, I can save you the math, but that equates to one hundred and thirty four years worth of applicants at two hundred and seventy nine tags a year. So, but if you're feeling lucky, man, you know who am I to deprive you from either buying a firearm or applying in Utah? That's right. <laughs> the the good news about Utah is there is still a chance because about half of the tags go into a pool where everybody has a chance of drawing them. Yeah, a weighted chance. So yeah, it's a, yeah, a, you know there, there is a chance. But again, keep in mind there's thirty seven thousand non resident applicants and a hundred and thirty some tags in that pool that you can draw. In the, yeah, in the random pool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's how I should do it. I shouldn't take the other tags that go over in the the high point the preference pool. I should side. just yeah, because I take all the tags. I should just take that hundred and thirty some that are only issued in the in the random draw and say, okay, if you're not at the highest point level, there's now there's two hundred and sixty some years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Oh. And unless they find a way to uh, reverse human aging, it's uh, our chances of drawing that tag are very, very low. Yeah. yeah. And the reason we talk about these point systems, folks, isn't because we're advocates of them. It's because they're not going away. And so you may as well know how they work and do your best to not have the table tilted even less to your advantage by being uninformed about how they work. So that's why we talk about them. Yeah. No, I had, I had so. a guy just last week, he messaged me and said, Hey, I'm going to start putting in for Utah this year and the deadline's coming up. Is the Wasatch tag still a good one to put in for? I'm like, you have zero points you never put in before. He's like, yeah, I'm going to start building points now though. It's like, Man, here's here's the real easy math on Utah. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, I don't know what I'm going to do in Utah once I burn my 23 pronghorn points. And, Probably the know, same I thing really I did have... when I burned my 10 elk points 10 years ago. Waved a goodbye. I'm still sitting at zero, and I don't plan on that ever changing. Hmm. 
So yeah, for people it. who are looking at it going, Randy and Corey are probably just trying to tell us not to apply, so they'll draw their tags. I don't no. I don't play the game in Utah. So No. I <clears throat> I've walked away from so many states. People when I was telling that at, at these Q and A sessions, I was telling people how many states I've walked away from or that I never jumped into because I just don't think it's a good value. And I'm a tight wad accountant. And uh so I don't do it. And uh they're like Wow, I thought you applied everywhere. Nope. Only if it's a place I really want to go and I think it's a good use of my money. So Yep. And I'll do the same with Colorado. Once I draw there, I won't be building points in Colorado anymore. Yeah. yeah. Dang. You're gonna be relegated to just hunting, you know, down at the city park or something the way you keep dropping states, Corey. Well, they give me a tag for the city park, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say something like that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, how do I get a tag for this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, Corey, I hope you have a great day. Uh, and uh, we'll pick it up again here before the Colorado and Montana deadline. Put another one of these out there for the world to listen to. And, That's right. Uh, hopefully it. Well, I, here's what here's what I pray for for weather: snow on the mountain, rain in the valley. I, yeah, I, I'm done. I'm done doing snow. I ran three weeks ago. I ran over a big I, frozen ice block in my driveway with my snowblower, and it warped <laughs> or or bent the the you know the whatever it is the auger. Yep. Uh, it's like, oh man, I can't believe that. So I'm hoping it doesn't <laughs> snow anymore. Otherwise, my wife will be out there with her recently recovered broken foot doing it and i'll look bad so i'm just hoping we get a lot of moisture and it's all rain don't have yep. to shovel rain so i'm to that but. point too i'm done with the big snowstorms at at the uh, residential elevation they can snow all at once in the mountains but i'm ready to start yeah. seeing a little bit of green showing up on the south facing ridges and looking forward yeah. to spring well, have a great day, Corey. Let's let them you go. Huh? Sounds good. Thanks, Randy. Right. Thanks, everybody, for listening.